Welcome everyone. We're back with the new interview series on the Multimedia Men Podcast Network. I'm Brian. We have such a phenomenal show today. Wayne in in this corner from New York, grew up in Texas. He is the intercontinental champion of motion pictures, television, and music. Romney Malco. What's up, man? Yeah, I just want to let you know right now. No, but <laughs> uh, you doing all right? I'm so excited. This is the best place to be. No one's going to stop us. Yes, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you very much for that awesome WWE introduction. I like and, it. I like it. And it's always good to be back in Texas. Fantastic. Uh, let's start. I want to start. Let's start at the very beginning. Where did it all start for you in film and begin in music? Was it something you heard on the radio? Was it something your parents showed you on the old television? Where did it all begin? Um, it all started for me, that's interesting. I was always very resistant to the idea, but it all started for me when I was like uh, 30 years old, 29, 30 years old. I uh, was dating a lady well, let me think about this. No, yeah, actually, John Leguizamo was how it all started. Oh, in the John, past. Yeah, because I used to do music, and John Leguizamo needed someone to help him rap for his movie. And he was, and a guy named uh, Andrew Stephanopoulos uh, put us in touch with one another because, and, and, and because uh, he liked the way that this animated cat rap for Paul Abdul. Nothing in common for this trust. I'm like a minus, she's like a plus. One going up, one coming down, but we seem to land on common ground. So I was like, oh, I can help you with that. And then we started making music together. And then his, his wife at the time was like, yo, why can't you have Romney in your movie? You hang out with comedians and he's funny as hell, you know? And so he asked me to audition. I auditioned about, literally they called me back like six times, but Due to my lack of experience, they didn't hire me. However, the casting agent, her name was Wendy Kurtzman, told pretty much everyone in Hollywood, yo, Romney's my favorite audition of all time. Romney Malco. And I wasn't in the industry, so they couldn't find me. They ended up tracking me down through the music union. And um, I started getting calls from all these different productions to come and audition and stuff like that. That's how it started. No, that's awesome. And so before that, you were in a group called the College Boys. And I must say, when I was younger, when that album came out, I must have been like 10 or 11. I was listening to Digital Planets and Digital Underground oh. and the College Boys. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. And I have still trying to find a long lost copy of that on vinyl because I know it exists. The hood with my drop top gangsters on the sidelines throwing up nothing but a peace sign brothers on the curve with the herb levi's knee high OG's clock as i creep by it's got to be out there somewhere um it's in a bin i'm telling you it's in a bin um but uh yeah dude you know i i actually used to go uh to uh you the ut radio station that they had there and i would you know i would freestyle on the radio college radio station right I would um, do shows. I would open up at the, at the university for like actor, rappers like LL Cool J and EPMD because y'all always had like these famous rappers come in there. And I would, I would battle rap at a place called the Rhinestone Wrangler, which I don't know if you guys remember. I, that might be a few generations, you know, ahead of it, you know, further back. But anyway, yeah, Texas is where I started rapping. Ross S. Sterling in Baytown, Texas is where I really started. I started rapping in New York, but rapping in public, it was then. 
Do, do you still do a little bit of that here and there, like at home, record anything, or is it uh, all film stuff now? In fact, I'm going to go all out and say, as the character of this movie, Tijuana Jackson, I actually rap as the character. He has albums like affirmation music. In fact, I'm going to give y'all a free mixtape from Tijuana Jackson right now. If you want it, I'll send it to you. Just text me at 954-228-8380. I will send you the damn mixtape right now. And um, it's pretty hilarious. It's all positive affirmation music, uplifting music. Um, but the raps are ridiculous and they're funny as hell. Like he teaches you how to get girls, that kind of thing. No, I, I love that. And so going on to uh, Tijuana Jackson Purpose Over Prison, this is a character that's near and dear to you because you've been uh, perfecting this character for almost 10 years and now he finally gets his time to shine and you, my goodness, a jack of all trades, writing, producing, executive producing, acting, star, it's insane. So, I mean, I would spontaneously combust if I did all that. So yeah. talk to me about d taking this character and bringing him to the spotlight. Um, you know, I've actually been doing the character for 20 years. I started doing the character in 1999. I didn't have any intentions of making a movie at that point. But when I started the YouTube channel in 2007, it got a really positive response very quickly. When I started putting that on YouTube, within two episodes of his live streaming show on Justin TV, I had a full page write-up in the New York Times about the character. I didn't, I didn't lobby for it. I didn't solicit for it. I mean, it just, it just happened. And um, I started getting a lot of response and his channel started growing quite quickly. And I began to understand that the character had a responsibility. So, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, and the next thing you know, I had people like Jimmy Kimmel saying, like, yo, we could fool America for two years easy. They'd have no clue that this character was you. Um, and, you know, and so over time, people on the channel were like, you need to make a movie. You need to make a TV show. We want to finance it. Let us give you the money to do it. And that encouraged me. But Hollywood was also acting very interested. And I honestly really bought into the hype that people in Hollywood were going to help me make this movie, even though the way this character talks is so crazy. Um, I, I thought that they were going to, and after years and years and years, and when I say years and years and years, I'm talking maybe like seven years of a bunch of empty promises. I just finally decided I was, I was living in Puerto Rico and it's thinking one day, I'm like, let's start a crowdfunding campaign. And so that's what I did. And the thing is, I didn't want to write the movie. I didn't want to direct the movie. I didn't want to star in the movie. We tried to hire a writer. Which, you know, I tried to hire a director, but my producers kept saying, no one's going to do it like you. And, um, and, and so as a result, I ended up writing it and then re very resistant, ended up directing it. Very resistant, ended up, I ended up raising the money for it. I ended up doing the crowdfunding again. But then I also ended up editing the damn movie, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed as we're talking about this. But, you know, it was like, listen, here's the truth. Just being a black dude uh, in the game, you know, who, who's my portfolio is predominantly crossover mainstream stuff. But as soon as I decided that I was going to be a black dude who was going to be a black lead in the movie, just the funds aren't there in the same way in Hollywood. So the truth is, I had, I had to do it on a, I had to do it a different way. I had to do it at a different pay scale, which has always been my goal. So I'm not bitching and moaning about it. But I just knew that, you know, the, the way in which Hollywood sees it is if it's a black lead, it's usually limited to a domestic release unless it's Morgan Freeman or someone like uh, uh, Samuel Jackson or, you know, a, a much bigger star. 
but for the most part, a black lead gets the domestic release. And so as a result of that, and, and that domestic relief usually only goes to urban markets. So, and, and despite the fact that a lot of Tijuana Jackson's audience started with white males in America, just to be clear, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Night Attack show is what launched Tijuana Jackson online, just to be clear, okay? And um, I don't even know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but the point of it is, is that I, I, I knew these things, I understood the antiquated uh, distribution model of Hollywood and, and realized that if I wanted to get this done, I was gonna have to do it myself. And after like the final project, after, you know, pre-production all the way through editing and doing the music, I mean, this, it's such a remarkable tale and it really plays so well. Um, and I think it's a timeless movie because it has like, you root for this character so much. And I would rather listen to him than almost anybody else because he knows what he's, he, he's smart. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, we're so inundated with all these online gurus. And as the data is starting to come out, a lot of them are just not real. A lot of them have paid for their positioning in very prominent magazines to be featured in prominent magazines. They've actually paid for it to appear successful when, in fact, they're not successful at all. It's all part of a marketing campaign. A lot of them really have somewhat have been exposed to having extremely dysfunctional, uh, uh, you know, uh, professional and personal dynamics. Um, so I think that it's kind of cool that I actually have a dude who is a self-proclaimed guru who's walking around with all of his flaws on his sleeve, you know, and heavily flawed, most institutionalized person you'll ever meet trying to tell you how to liberate yourself. And the reason I think it's funny is because the irony in that is that that's who most of us are. Most of us are walking around giving advice and preaching what we most need to learn. I totally agree with that. And I Thank like you. the mix that you put in of comedy and the mockumentary along with like the more sentimental moments was perfect. Like even one Thank of the you. first shots, I knew immediately I was gonna love the movie uh, when it was the shot in the prison taking a shower and you see the full body shot. And I'm like, fuck yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm like, you know, you don't get a whole lot of full frontal shots in movies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I figured that I would take my shot at it. Yeah, man, thank you. Thank you for saying that. No, no, it, it was great. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Um, so talk to me about casting the role, about casting the documentary crew, about casting Regina. Uh, mm -hmm. talk, talk to me how that all came to. Well, you know, it's, it's very much the, the business is that you have to package a movie. To, to, to actually, to potentially get distribution. I don't know if you know this, but like statistically, man, 350 films will show at like Sundance and maybe four will actually get distribution and maybe one of those four will actually make money. You know what I mean? And so a big part of what, what helped, what I knew would help is if I were able to use my star power to, and I never had any intentions of showing my film at Sundance or anything like that. I'm not, that's not what, you know, that wasn't my game. Um, I wanted to actually see if I could use my star power to get someone like Regina Hall to help me package and better sell the movie and better incentivize my investors. But every single person outside of that needed to be someone that you didn't rec um, recognize. Otherwise, it would pull you out of the mockumentary. So I had a woman, a casting agent who specializes in casting minorities, who said that she was going to do anything that she could do to help me cast this movie. but um she just didn't really respond to the material and as a result of that um 
uh, I ended up having to go with a com Esther Casting, a commercial agent. She casts, she doesn't cast actors, she, like, like film actors. She casts people who act in commercials. And so what I did was I went, for, I went through her portfolio of things and I said, okay, th this is what I'm looking for. And she sent in a bunch of people and I literally spent anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes with every single person. We were behind every single day and I apologize to the actors, but I also thank them for waiting because I wanted to give every person a full shot. And a lot of people came in and did their thing. And I could tell as an actor who'd been on the audition side of the room, I could tell that they weren't fulfilled or they didn't feel like they had done their best. I wanted to make sure that they got a chance to do that. And I keep going into the lobby and being like, let me tell y'all why I'm 15 minutes behind. And I'd explain to them, you know, you know, I want each of you to come in here and really feel like you did your thing. So don't sweat it if you don't nail it the first time. But at the same time, please know it's going to cost us, you know, make our days longer. And I ended up getting a lot of people who were really talented and really funny and just had never really had that, you know, that big break in, in, to, to be in a feature film. And they, I feel like they were standouts in the movie. No, they were. They were. And I must you. give you uh, credit and kudos to all the little details. And uh, you're an excellent writer as well. Um, such, such things that I noticed, like in uh, your room at the house, uh, the decorations on the walls and even like the prison toilet and stuff like that, as well as some of the comedy when you're driving in the car with your little nephew, taking him to Disney World and you talk about, uh, you want to hear my music? No. <laughs> and I thought that was beautiful. And I like, is that Thank something you. that you wrote? Is that something you came up with on the spot? And like how you yeah. came up with it? Was it was all in the script. You know, I, I have one thing, and I think one of the things that turned people off about the script was that I was extremely, I was very detail-oriented. So as a result of that, you'd have this big block of description explaining the payphone on the wall, the sealed toilet, you know, with no cover. All of that being described probably turned a lot of people off from, from it. But to me, that was the magic, the magic visuals that would make your independent, that would add production value to my independent film. I didn't want to risk making an independent film and people going, oh, in fact, I'll tell you a quick story, right? Um, so all of these things in the production, one of the hardest things we had to do was find the grass for the front yard because it was in the script. Really? So it was in the script. I was like, I need the grass in the front yard to look this way. So what a lot of people would normally do when they showed up to our set in the beginning of our film set was they'd be like, yo, man, Look, the dude wrote it, directed it, and he's starring in it. You know this is going to be a shit show. So, look, I'm going to stick around for three days and then quit and then get my unemployment. And the reason I know this is because they were talking to my friends and they didn't know that they were telling my friends that. Wow. And this is no lie. After, after 14 days of filming, we had to then move our location to Florida, from California to finish filming in Florida. No one, we couldn't bring anyone. We could only take a skeleton crew. And no one wanted to volunteer to step down. Not a single person left. No one, every, I knew every first single person by name. No one left. No one wanted to leave. Not one human being. Wow. All facts. Yeah, we broke hearts. People were crying because we couldn't take them with us to finish the job in Florida. Wow. Yeah. And so my point being is that there's an attitude that people have when they come onto an independent set. And it's important to include everything that you want in your script, in your director's script, in your shot, in your shoot, in, 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 in your director's script, so that 
nothing is left to other people's discretion. Because if it's left to their discretion, they go, oh, it's an independent film, this will be fine. No, 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 bro. I really need that grass to be eight feet tall. I mean that. No, and it was perfect because you're like, it's in like a jungle and like getting in the car and then the next shot is it's all mode. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's so great. It's like uh, it's the, you know what it is? It's the brother who he's, I wanted to show people a couple of things. I want to show people how like, you know, a dude goes to, to find a cool way to say a guy goes to prison or to jail for siphoning gas out of a school bus and he gets, you know, this, this long sentence. Sometimes that's the male figure that cuts the grass and does a lot of things around the house, including pay the bills. Yeah. And when you extract him from the family, a lot of things go, are not maintained. A lot of things slip through the cracks. And so I wanted to show that in a way that was funny, but get that message across as well. No, you did. You did. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you talked a little bit about earlier that you didn't want to do the directing and editing and writing, but you did so well with it. So talking about next time are you do you want to jump into roles like that again for your next project or are you just strictly like i just want to do the acting maybe just direct what, what are yeah. you thinking well here, here's here's what i've learned what i've learned is that you can never really say what you're going to do because every project is going to require different things so i've now been offered to write and direct studio a, a few studio films and as i'm open to that i know that that comes with a great team but if I were to come up with another character or a story that was as against the grain as this and had the type of language that this has, you know, a studio or even an independent art house might, production company might think that it's too risque and, you know, might not want to attach themselves or might not see it as a priority. And then I might end up having to do a whole bunch of things all over again. But if I could have my dream moving forward, the way that I like to think of it is that I made the sacrifice of doing all of these things for this film so that I wouldn't have to in the future. All right. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, so with this character, Tijuana Jackson, the life coach, giving uh, information and advice on you actually have a YouTube called Advice from a Jackass, where you talk yes. about everything from curing snoring and uh, everything. And so can you talk yeah. a little bit about that as well as your, uh, your, your pet program, the People's Empowerment Platform? Oh, shoot, yeah, definitely. Well, starting off, uh, my first YouTube experience was with the Tijuana Jackson channel, as I explained. Um, but as time has gone on, it's been very difficult to be consistent on the, on the channel. And so what I decided was that I was gonna do my own YouTube channel. And the reason is because when you do YouTube, you're engaging a whole different audience. And that audience uh, is uh, sometimes, if, if, if managed correctly, can be uh, a very proactive audience, you know, and I wanted to do that. I, didn't want, I wasn't looking to monetize anything, but coming from the community that I come from, a lot of people just have not been exposed to, you know, uh, you know psycho, psychotherapy. They haven't been exposed to, uh, you know, real health advice about what it takes to to, to truthfully be healthy, not by the, based on the standard American diet, but based on what science says works. What is macro, you know, macro autophagy? What, what does it do for your body? People just don't know these things in the communities that I come from. And so I thought I was going to take it upon myself to create a channel that actually provided that type of insight and information. How do you get over the fear of judgment? And all the things that I've learned in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that I've spent in therapy, I thought that it would be great to pay it forward and kind of pass it along to people 
who could possibly benefit from this information as well. And that was ultimately, that was ultimately the goal. Sorry about that. I just saw a fly try to hijack my food, bro, and I wasn't having it. Um, <laughs> and so, and so that's where, uh, that's why I started the channel. And, you know, here we are many years later, you know, I mean, here we are now and, you know, I've got my, my channel's got, gotten a lot more notoriety and I'm starting to talk about more relevant things that are happening in society right now, like, you know, the protests and what's going on with uh, the community and police relations, but all of it still ties back to psychological development. No, that's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, with that, with having the YouTube and having people message and have contact with you in comments, is there like a strange, bizarre uh, comment that you've received that they want you to give advice about? Dude, um, you know, I've had people crack jokes about, I had a dude ask me to do a video on whether or not penis enlargement uh, products are actually work. I should <laughs> <laughs> I, I screenshot it to post it on my thing and then I don't know I guess I just forgot to post it but his whole inquiry was on you should do something are these scams or do these work and I was like bro you kind of telling on yourself a little bit right now <laughs> maybe and then I was like maybe you should go to the Tijuana Jackson channel and let him <laughs> no let right him cover that. Yeah. I think I think comedian Lewis Black said it best with that said like the only people who are trying to take those are people actually trying to feed it to their dick. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's so, so no, that's good. Okay, so a couple little fun questions for you. What's your most thrilling music experience, both as a fan and as a talent? Damn, that's good. That's good. Um, probably as a talent is showing up to Summer Jam, which they would have every year. And we perform there. And we being kind of like the underdog dogs, the corny rappers, college boys, and getting out there and ripping it down so hardcore that the crowd just stood up 20,000 people and just bum rushed the stage. I just remember by the time we had finished, we hadn't even played our hit yet. By the time we finished our first song, I was like, oh, we got them. We got them. And um, all the props that we got because, you know, because of performances like that, Vibe Magazine was like one of the best shows of the decade, hip hop shows of the decade, College Boys Without a Question. It was beautiful to be listed amongst those. Um, but that, that was very, as a performer, that's an incredible honor. And then as, um, you know, as a fan, I think that one of my most, uh, I've had quite a few. I've had quite a few, man, but I saw Prince live at the House of Blues, a very intimate setting. And he didn't do one of the, you know, his pop song. He did all blues songs in honor of the House of Blues. I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd never seen someone, first of all, first of all, this, this, this man's stage presence was um, godlike. It was, I can't even explain the level of confidence, the way he played around, his facial expressions, the eye contact, the sound of his guitar, the band, his Zen place had to be the stage. I'd never seen anything like it. I was standing there watching him and my hand was like this. It was like this, this hand was like this. This is how messed up I was. I stand this. And when I realized that my hand was like this, it was already numb. Cause I was just in awe. I was just like, it was something 
un, it's, it's a very unusual experience. I, I, I don't even know how to put it to words. No, I, I, I saw him live too. And uh, that he's one of the top five guitar players in the world. Oh, do you, you think so? Okay. Yeah. All right. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I, that's what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely felt as though, you know, as he was, he was switching out through effects and stuff like that. I, something about the way his guitar sounded was, listen, I'm, I'm a classic rock fan. You know, I feel like energetic, my, my era of hip hop, we were sampling classic rock, you know, energetically, uh, <clears throat> you know, the messages. And I understand that this era of, of, of rock, a lot, you know, may have been, I don't know for a fact, but some of it may have been heavily influenced by drug, experimenting with drugs and what drug experimentation or whatever. I don't give a damn what the hell the case is. Classic rock is an incredible era of music. And, um, you know, and I'm referring more so from, uh, I'm going to go from like late 60s on to like late 70s. Um, I'm a Fleetwood Mac fan. I, I, I just, he's one of the few modern artists who's hit me like classic rock has hit me. And seeing him live, I don't know, man. It just, like Dave Chappelle said, man, don't look that brother in his eye. Don't, don't look him in his eye. So rest in peace. Rest in peace, my brother. Because I was always a big Michael Jackson fan. Me too. But, and I was the kind of person who didn't want to see you live because I didn't want you to disappoint me. I'd rather not see you live and just have this huge visual of you than to see you live and you let me down. So I never saw him live. Prince caught me off guard. Unreal. No, unreal. No, yeah. same way with Michael Jackson, huge MJ fan. And I actually had tickets to London uh, to Ooh. see that concert. And, you know, he passed and... I got a shirt and a, the ticket. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry, bro. You know, I, I got to tell you a really quick story. I actually have a woman who does my facials. I won't say her name right now. She's from Japan. She left her husband and moved to the United States with hopes of meeting Michael Jackson. Wow. Did it ever come yep. true? She never got to meet him. And, um, but she has a whole, her own line of facial products, all with Michael Jackson's birthday uh, on, on her product. So that would be but, June. I'm trying to remember June something. I can't remember. Oh, you were a real fan. You were a oh, real, no, real yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used those guys as a kid and an aspiring artist myself. I always would collect, and I still do this to this day. Uh, I always put together the, the greatest, who I consider the greatest. And I basically feed myself that so that their work ethic, everything about their behind the scenes, so that I condition myself to, to have that type of work ethic in pursuit of whatever it is that I'm working on. Right. And so like when I had my rap group, everybody thought I was crazy because I held practices every single day. Even when I was in high school, we had practices at seven o'clock in the morning before school started in our school gym. I got permission from the principal for that. People should think this dude is just kind of crazy. Well, I was following the work ethic of the people that I looked at, that I looked up to. And so when I was making my movie, Tijuana Jackson Purpose Over Prison, I did the same thing. I only allowed myself to watch the great, the great classics, the great movies, City of God. I allowed myself to watch uh, oh. movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Go ahead, I'm, go ahead. I'm so glad you mentioned City of God. I did a top movies of the decade and City of God was number one. <laughs> oh, and I am all, I, you and me might have the same top 10 because bruh, that movie moved me so much. I've made, I've made aspiring filmmakers. I've made them watch it. I was like, we got to watch this first. This artistry, storytelling, just unique voices. You know, 
I love that. And so I'll constantly feed myself that type of stuff. When I fed myself that, I just basically watched a movie or two movies a day while trying to make Prison Logic because I wanted, once again, to kind of indoctrinate myself with what the greats do. No, no, it, it, it was beautiful. The cinematography was great in, in Tijuana Jackson. It's a, it's a damn, damn good movie. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my brother. I really appreciate that. And we made it for like, never like $400,000, bro. No, oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. You did good. Thank you. Um, Thank you. What, since you're in the music industry and you're probably still collecting, you said you, you're collecting the greats. Is there, do I, you have- I was, I was. I'm not was. in the music industry anymore, yeah. Oh, but, yeah, but do you have, um, what is the most- curious or the strangest recording or album that you own um you know i have this japanese artist god forgive me for not remembering this japanese artist's name um if 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 you were a dog i throw the stick for you does anybody know that song <laughs> If I were men and you a dog, I throw a stick for you. If I were a man and you a dog, I throw a stick for you. I don't. I, I've been listening to this one song for years, and I don't know if I like the song. I just. I'm like it was so bizarre that I had to keep it, and um, that would probably be the most eclectic thing that I have listened to in ages. Um, it's this weird offbeat. There isn't really any instrumentation. It's like sounds coming out of nowhere. And this Japanese artist is basically saying that if you were a dog, she'd throw the stick to you. Interesting. I, All right. Don't know. Don't know the name. What, what is yours? Uh, one of the strangest ones I have. I have uh, Leonard Nimoy on forty-five doing the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins, and it's really oh, wow. strange. And then I have an original. Huh? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. And I have an, uh, an original um, We Are Siamese from Lady and the Tramp single. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Damn. You're a collector, bro. You're a real collector, bro. I, I, lo um, I love records and movies for sure. I I'm going to tell you one that I wanted and actually tried to find but never found. I tried to find Billy Joel's first record. People don't know this, but... Uh, uh, Billy Joel used to sit outside of a studio, saving up money to get a chance to work in that studio. When they finally gave him his break, he finally got to make his first record. It was a 45. And unfortunately, they printed it at the wrong speed. So it came out like 33. Yeah. And so he had a 45 that played it, you know, that, 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 that when, it, when you played it, it played it at 33. If you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about vinyl here, people. And 33, yeah. was, 33 was the big one. And because of the fact that it, it had a much larger, a uh, wider uh, 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 dimension, you have to speed it up and play it a little faster so that you can get the, the, the audio to play at the intended speed. And then 45 was smaller, which actually rotated slightly slower so that you could get it to play at, at the desired speed. And unfortunately, his 45 was recorded at 33 speed. So as a result of that, it was a, it was a disaster for him. And it was his first, he'd saved all his money in his first single. He didn't really have a deal at the time. I, if you have it, hit me up. I want it. I'm going to find that and I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> Bumbo Cloud, I want that for real. <laughs> that, that was great. <laughs> um, also, since you are so passionate, passionate about motion pictures, what are some of your most favored 
uh, scenes from films that have always stuck with you, such as like, yeah. Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, when Jack's sitting in the room and he first discovers that the nurse is not joking. He first discovers that she has absolutely no sense of humor. That discovery was so interesting because I kind of feel like it's every single person's indoctrination into the United States as we know it today. And what that means is that he was just kind of in there relaxed and figured that he was getting a free ride, you know, so that he wouldn't have to be in some shithole prison. He thought, oh, I just take a free ride in this place and, you know, pretend to take my meds and it's all good. And the minute that he realized that the woman in charge, the minute he realized that the woman in charge not only had it out for him, but had pretty much emasculated every single man in that room, his discovery, he looked around seeking affirmation from everyone in the room and got none. And I feel like there's a lot of people in this world who have an opposing opinion, who have a different idea of how things should work. And they could be sitting in class or they could be hanging out at a golf course or they could be just hanging out at a bar. And they look around and realize that no one's on that page. And then they slowly begin to conform because there's no safety in you know, social acceptance. There's no affirmation. So that scene stayed with me for forever. Um, another scene that really stands out to me in movies, because I, I, I you ever watch District 9? Oh, yeah. Okay. Still waiting for that um, sequel. Oh, my God, dude. Um, a scene that really stood out to me in District 9 was when the guys were going around to all the different houses and they were kicking in the doors and the aliens were being forced to, what, they called them prawns. Prawn, prawns? Prawns, yes. Prawns were uh, uh, being kicked out and they, they came to the house of this one prawn. It was this prawn with his son. I don't know why I empathize so much with two aliens, but it was something about that setting that really resonated with me. And I think it had something to do with the fact that somehow or the other it has reflected some of the communities that I've lived in growing up, you know? Right. And um, it was almost as if we had dehumanized them before we had actually gotten to know the prongs, you know? And yep. something about that was magical that you could actually take these aliens and have us empathizing with them in the way that we did, yet they didn't really have any dialogue you know i thought I, something about that I, I made my daughter watch it the other day as well and i was like how do we do that how do we get people to empathize with people and, and characters and images that they would normally demonize wonderful that answers. was a, yeah thank you and can i give you one more yo yeah please all, okay. all that okay. you want yeah i think that there's i think there's there's a lot of credit that has to be given to uh the scene in uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> when, when Samuel Jackson is sitting at a dining, in a diner with John Travolta, John Travolta gets up to go to the restroom and the place is being robbed and the robber comes, puts his gun in Samuel Jackson's face and Samuel Jackson's telling him, I'm letting you off today. I want you to go into my wallet. There's a bunch of money in there. He said, dude's like, which, how do I know which one to do it? He goes, it's the one that says bad motherfucker on it. That whole scene to me 
with Samuel Jackson going through this transition of being the bad guy to being like, I think I, think I have a greater purpose on this planet. I friggin' love that. I love seeing him go through that. One of the most outstanding performances in in in, in any in any Clinton Tarantino movie, in my personal opinion. No, for sure. And like he goes from like uh, yelling, like "Bitch, be cool. Tell that fucking bitch to chill. <laughs> Tell that to chill." Yeah. <laughs> to like being a legitimate ass sensei, Zen ass guru. I'm gonna help you get through this. I, <laughs> Quentin, Quentin Tarantino is a boss for that shit, man. He is a boss for that. No, those are, those are great scenes. And I love that you brought up uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because I really think that uh, Nurse Ratchet is very similar, as, like one of the most evil characters next to Iago in Othello. I really, she is just oh, wow. so yeah. bad. <laughs> oh, and so well played, bro. Because, yeah. you know, I have to tell you, like, I engage that movie in the beginning as though Jack was going to get his due. He's going to get, I'm like, you're going you gonna to get what's coming to you. But she quickly became the villain, an unsuspecting villain, unsuspected villain. And you're right. And she, was, and she did it so well. And, it, and like that need for her to be in control of the environment at all times. I've lived with people like that. I've dated people like that. I've gone to school with teachers who were like that, you know? And so almost as if they need to, it's almost as if she needs to strip away any sense of freedom you had so that she could be in complete control of the environment. And that is the only way that she would feel safe. She's the ultimate Karen. She's the ultimate Karen. She is the ultimate Karen. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. Um, So if Tijuana Jackson could cut his own pro wrestling promo about his own film and advice, what would it Mm -hmm. be? <laughs> um damn his own pro wrestling promo he'd be on Samo God you gotta help me with this come on give me a give, give me a starter let, 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 let's do this together we're gonna improv this together well, how do we start this all right so Tijuana Jackson here says to all you kids out there <laughs> Like, I don't know, like you got to eat your vegetables, mow the lawn, and take your kids to Disney World, even if you... <laughs> right. and, 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 then, and then he'd pop up and like this with his hand behind his back and the cigarette smoke coming up over his back, trying to blow his smoke out off screen. <laughs> and then be like, and I don't want you to think just because you lean on a rope, it's going to catapult you. It's going to take some work to get that jump off. <laughs> that was wonderful that was wonderful and then as he takes us uh, a cigarette don't yeah. smoke kids don't smoke yeah, yeah. and be like do as i say not as i do yes <laughs> that was wonderful uh thank you, thank you uh romney i could talk to you for another eight hours no thank you man you, you're the real deal bro i really enjoy being on here um oh, for I sure. want, yeah i want everyone to come on uh, take a look at Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. It's actually really funny. Um, if you want more information about it, please text me. I'll text you right back. Uh, hit me at 
800-800-8380. I'll send you whatever you need. If you need, if you want to join our street team even and just help us promote it, I'll send you posters. I'll send you flyers. I'll send you a free mixtape. I'll send you uh, links to download. You can download the trailer and just have it on your phone. Just hit me up, man. It's uh, 954-228-3380. Yeah. Excellent. And the movie's going to be out on iTunes, right? The movie's going to be on iTunes. Uh, it's going to pretty much any video on demand platform, iTunes, Voodoo, Google Play, uh, uh, Amazon. It's all coming. And you can actually pre-order the movie now if you'd like. Just between you and me. I don't know when this is going to play, but if you wait until the 17th, you get 50% off on a pre-order. I would recommend 50% off on a pre-order because that ends on the 20th. And then when the movie airs, it's going to be back to its regular price. So that would be my recommendation for the real hustle. There you go. And I'm going to campaign like hell to get Tijuana Jackson in the Criterion Collection. Bro! <laughs> Y'all hear? Join that campaign. You hear that? Nah, man. Thank you so much, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.